Uh, for the rest of us, let's turn to the book of Colossians. We're still in chapter 1, and um, we're going to be chapter 1, verses 24 to 26. Uh, if, if I were to say, like, this is kind of a continuation of our sermon from uh, last, uh, last week, uh, these uh, verses here, 24 to 26, go really well together. I, I just felt like I needed to spend some time in verse 24 first and then uh, kind of s- summarize all of it w- all the way through 26. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 26 say this. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. So last week we talked about the work of, of, of the minister. Um, or actually, this week we're going to talk about the, word, the work of the minister. Uh, last week what we talked about was basically what a minister meant according to the word that Paul used here, and as a minister, uh, what it was that the minister went through. And so last week we used verse 24 to point out uh, basically what a minister means. And according to Paul's words, if we back up a little bit, verses 21 to 23, he says that a minister uh, is one who is uh, a servant. And uh, that's kind of his point he was considering himself, or he was actually uh, describing himself, and he says he is a minister of the gospel. Well, that left us with the question, what does that mean, minister of the gospel? When we think of minister, a lot of times we think of pastor, teacher, uh, we think of shepherd. Uh, in Paul's case, we might think that a minister is an apostle. Well, that is true. A minister is all those things, but it, it, that, that word in general, diakonos, it goes further. It, it describes uh, everyone within uh, the, the realm of the church, everyone who is a member of the body, uh, because that word, diakonos, basically means uh, a person in service of another. It, it doesn't mean elder, doesn't mean deacon, it doesn't mean anything else other than a servant. And so what Paul was saying was that he's, I'm, I'm a servant of the gospel. Uh, and, and then, you know, as, as we follow along, in Paul's case, Paul Yes, he is a servant of the gospel, but uh, he is a servant, um, and as a servant, he is an apostle of Christ, right? So that's, that's kind of the conclusion we come to with Paul, but are we all apostles? Of course not. Um, that, that office was meant for Paul and a select few, and after that, you know, uh, then, then the elders and deacons and everything else comes into play, as far as, well, the offices are only elders and deacons. And so... Um, we have those who are called to, uh, within, if you're not called to pastor a church or to be a deacon of a church, you may be called to teach. Uh, you may be called just to preach. Uh, not all, not all uh, preachers are pastors. So uh, you may be called to help um, in, in different cases or in different ways. Uh, you, you may be called to sing. We're all called to sing, but to lead in singing. Um, because, you know, just some of us don't have that gift of singing. It's okay. I don't either. So, but, but praise God, some do, and they can lead us in that. Uh, you may be called to, to play an instrument and lead us that way. You may be called 
uh, just gifts of administration uh, to, to help us in that way. Uh, there's, there's so many ways the Lord blesses his church, but they all fall under that same uh, category of servant. We are servants of the gospel. And the reason why we are servants of the gospel is because that is the main point of our service. That's why we do what we do. We don't do it for profit. We don't do it for uh, anybody to tell us that we're doing a good job. We, we do it to serve the Lord. Uh, the, because as we serve, the gospel proceeds. And we see that the gospel proceeds from God through Christ and by the power of his Holy Spirit. And it goes to the church. And that's why Paul says that he was a minister of the gospel. And essentially, he is a minister of the church in general. Well, you and I, in the same way, we're servants of the church. Uh, Paul, as I said before, Paul was an apostle, and that's how he, uh, that's how he fulfilled his role within the body of Christ. Uh, that doesn't mean Paul was, we say Paul, you know, yeah, he was an apostle, and that is a leadership position within the church. That doesn't mean he was the head, right? Because we only have one head, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody falls under that. That's Paul's point. That's the point he's making. He's saying, hey, even I, who have been, I've been given uh, authority as an apostle to, to lead God's church and, uh, and to establish uh, the New Testament, the word of God, even he is, is a servant. Even he is a body part. And so if Paul's a body part, that means we're all body parts. We're all servants of Christ who is the head. Well, Paul exercised his gifts through preaching, teaching, through prophecy, uh, healing, administration. I mean, pretty much anything and everything. But we look at Paul, we say, wow, that, he, he, he really climbed the mountain, so to speak, kind of like Moses. Like, you know, he's the Moses of the New Testament. He, he achieved many things for the Lord. Again, he's still on our level. He is still a servant of Christ. And uh, so we can say Paul was like us and that he is a servant of the church or the body of Christ. Um, we are a member of the body. We are servants of the body under the headship of Christ. Uh, we fall under the general category of being a minister, a servant of the gospel. And we all, even though we have different giftings, we belong to the same body and we're ruled by Christ. So, a minister equals a servant. That's, that's basically it. And, and that's, what, that's what we have to start with in order to understand the work of the minister because that's what we're going to talk about today. If, if we're all servants in here, okay, we get that. But what are we supposed to be doing as servants? Well, as a minister, you, we, have been called to a certain work. And that's what I want to look at in verses 24 to 26 to understand what that work is so that we can get busy doing it. Um, so basically what I want to do is I want to lay out what a minister should be doing. And remember, when I say a minister, I'm not just talking about myself, Pastor Laramie, Pastor David, Brother Lee. Or, or I'm talking about everybody in here. This is what we should be doing as ministers of the gospel. Uh, so the very first thing we see in verse 24 is that as ministers, we should suffer for the sake of his church. Now, we've already discussed Paul's suffering, and, and I, I don't want to go through all of that again because I set that up so that we could talk about this thing specifically today because last week we talked about 
the suffering and how we should expect to suffer, but we didn't talk about the reason why we should expect to suffer. Um, I, I think that's a completely different story. But I want to start with Paul. He suffered for the church, and it's explained to us in Scripture um, not everything that he went through, but in general what he went through. I, I want to revisit that. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28, tells us kind of a, uh, you know, a summary of some of the things that he suffered. First of all, he talks about uh, with far greater labors. Uh, to, to labor is, is to suffer, right? I, I would consider that uh, great labors is, is, is suffering because uh, of what you're having to go through to do that. Um, so he mentions that in general. He says far more, he talks about his imprisonments. Um, he talks about countless beatings. And he says, and often near death. You and I, we've maybe had one near-death experience in our lifetime. Maybe. Depends on, you know, maybe what we've been through, how long we've lived. But I, I doubt that any, no, anyone in here can say we were often near death. Uh, maybe we're clueless. Uh, you know, we don't know through God's providence, his protection that's taken place over our life. But maybe you and I have been through one or two situations. And if, if you had a really hard life, maybe you've been through three or four situations. But Paul says, I was often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews of 40 lashes, less one. That's probably a situation where he was near death. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That, that's pretty close there. And especially the situation that he's talking about, they thought he was dead. They left and walked, walked away thinking, oh, we killed Paul. Paul gets up, goes back into the city. Yeah, I mean, all for the glory of God. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger of rivers, dangers of robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Man, that's, that's an eye-opener there. I, I said last week, Paul's name he should have been just called danger, right? Because that he was always in danger. In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things. So there's other things that he's not even listing here. This is what he says. There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Wow. Crazy to think that someone would suffer that much. But again, the point is not what he suffered. Rather, it's why he endured it. When Paul was called to be an apostle, um, there was something the Lord said of him. But even before we get there, I want us to notice in verse 24 Paul's his disposition towards suffering. He says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. We talked about that. That's not a natural reaction to suffering. That's somewhere where we have to get to through the peace and strength of God. We have to get to a point of contentment. And once we get to a point of contentment in our suffering, yeah, then we can rejoice because of the goodness of God and what he's done for us. 
So Paul is saying, I rejoice. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now we talked about that too. That he wasn't saying like what Christ did on the cross wasn't good enough. Christ died once and for all. He even talks about this in Colossians chapter 1. What Paul is saying here is basically there was prophecy about the church's suffering. And Paul is saying, basically, I'm taking my part in that suffering. And so he's saying, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Twice he says that. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And then he says, I am filling up in Christ's afflictions, or basically he's saying, I'm suffering these many afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I think that's extremely important. When God called Paul into ministry, he said this of him. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles um, and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul was that example. We may look at Paul's life and say, wow, what an awesome opportunity to be used by God in that way. Uh, nah. I mean, yes and nah <laughs> at the same time. It's kind of like, yeah, what a privilege. Uh, obviously, he experienced things that no other human experienced. But at the same time, that goes on the good side and on the bad side. So that, that is what is said of Paul. One thing we know for sure is that the church was the benefactor of his suffering. Why? Because God used it as such. See, God used his suffering to grow the church through Paul. But at the same time, and this is how wonderful God is, at the same time, God grew Paul through that suffering. It wasn't just like one thing benefiting and one thing suffering and, and not benefiting. God, in his power, had it to where the church would grow through the sufferings of Paul. And at the same time, Paul would be edified and sanctified through that suffering. Paul suffered, though, not without purpose, because sometimes we feel like that. It's like, what's the purpose behind this? Why, why am I going through all of this? Uh, it's not helping me. This is hurting me. I wish it would go away. Um, or it's not fair. There's a lot of things that we say, but Paul suffered, not without purpose, but he suffered for the sake of the Lord's name. That's what, he, that's what the Lord told him. He says, I'm going to show him, I'm going to show Paul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That's part of his ministry. That's part of his calling. So Paul suffered for the sake of the Lord's name. In other words, for the sake of the exaltation of the Lord's name through the new life of the believer. That's why he suffered, to reach them with the gospel. And when they were reached with the gospel, their lives were changed. They glorified God through their words and through their actions. And the church grew. Now, it's simple to say that you should expect to suffer in life. That, that's simple for me to tell you that because I feel like 
I have the biblical backing to tell you that. Christ even said it, and we all, like when we hear that passage, you know, in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Everybody shakes their head, amen. Yeah, we, we realize. And then I'm not saying that's an easy thing to experience, but that's the passage that comes to mind whenever we, we think of our suffering. Yeah, we're, we're supposed to have suffering. So that's simple for me to say. What's hard to accept is that you will sometimes suffer for the sake of his name. Because I, I think what's easy to accept, at least for me personally, is when I suffer because I've, I've made a dumb decision. I cause this suffering. At least I can accept that. I'm like, okay, you know what? I caused this, and then therefore I have to go through this suffering. I have to go through the consequences of this suffering, and I'm just going to tough it out and, and, and pray to God and, and, and pray for his mercy, and hopefully things will work out well. Um, and when I say hopefully they'll work out well, according to the way I want things to work out. What's hard to accept is that sometimes your suffering is for the sake of his name. That's it. Through your suffering, God is going to grow his church. In what way? We have no idea. But through your suffering, your godly example of how to endure suffering, and even your ungodly example of how to endure suffering, God's going to use that to grow your church, but at the same time, he's going to use that to grow you. And that's how wonderful God is. When you are being persecuted by your family because of your faith, when you're being persecuted by the world because of your faith, when you're tired of serving and you're sitting there and you're thinking about everything you do for the Lord and, 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 and you're tired of it and God's going to use that. When you're burnt out, when you're overwhelmed because of the ministry God has given you. See, all these things cause us to suffer and there's many more things too. But the fact is, there is a purpose behind them and the reason why you're suffering through these things and the reason why you should not quit just because you're suffering is because you're doing it for the sake of the Lord's name. That's it. If, if, if you're wanting to quit, um, and I get it, we all want to quit, but I think that's where we kind of miss the whole purpose behind our suffering. When we're wanting to give up, we're more focused on here, us. Focus on something that's unfair to us, something that maybe we think we shouldn't have to endure. But we, when we are thinking that way, we, we do not think about our suffering being for the sake of the name of the Lord. And that's where our minds should go all the time. Also, don't think of your brothers and sisters in Christ when you are suffering. Don't use your brothers and sisters in Christ for motivation because that ain't going to work. It's not. And I'll give you an example. If I pastor this church only for the reason to make everyone in here happy, if I pastor this church only for the reason to help you, I've missed the mark of my calling. If I use you 
for motivation to continue pastoring this church, I would have quit a long time ago. Let's be honest. We do that sometimes, though. We even do this within our families. We use our kids, we use our spouses as our motivation to do things. And you hear it all the time. In fact, a lot of men, you know, and women go to work and they say, my motivation for working so hard is my kids. But what happens when your kids are not living according to your standards? You get completely frustrated with that. And you say, you don't deserve anything that I work for you. Right? You don't deserve the work I put in for you. Thing is, is that we're not working for, we shouldn't be working for those things in a sense. They're not the purpose behind our worship. Is work worship? Sure it is. It's ministry. It's a part of who you are. If it's a part of your life, then it's ministry. You are ministers of the gospel. So everything we endure is for the sake of his name. And if we aren't doing it for any other reason, then, yeah, I can see where our motivation is just really shook up. Because you're sitting there and you're counting the cost. Do these people really deserve it? And when you ask that question, the answer is going to be no. People don't deserve it. But when you say, does the Lord deserve it? What's the answer to that? Yes, of course he does. He deserves my full and complete faithfulness. If, if, I'm, if I'm going through good times or bad times, if I'm at the job where I want to be or I'm not, if I have the family I want or I don't, if I'm at the church where I want to be or I'm not, all that is set aside. It doesn't matter. You're not here just for the Lord to please you and keep you happy and, and, and keep you at peace and keep you fulfilled and make you want this happy life now. You are here as a servant. And you are here to suffer for the sake of his name. That's your calling as a minister. And that flows right by us most of the time. When things get hard, we're like, I want to quit. And that's where we need to dig deeper in the Lord. So don't think of each other as far as your motivation is concerned. Think of the Lord. You are suffering for the sake of his name. Now, serve others out of reverence for him, not out of reverence for them. Secondly, as ministers, not only should you expect to suffer for the sake of his name, but you should serve the church with God's gifts. And that's what verse 25 tells us. See, Paul acknowledges that he was made a minister by God. Specifically, he was made an apostle by the stewardship of God, the stewardship of God. Now, when you look at that word stewardship, it means the responsibility of management or a steward of a household. Uh, so basically, in either case, it is a caretaker of something that belongs to someone else. And in this case, the house is the church, and Paul says that he is the caretaker of the home. In other words, he is the servant. House is a church, and he's the caretaker. That's what God has called, called him to. Well, in your case, um, 
Paul, he's, he's a caretaker as far as an apostle is concerned, right? That's what he does for the Lord. In your case, the ministry you are involved in makes you a caretaker of the home, but you are a caretaker as a servant. Again, we're, we're coming back to that comparison. You may say, man, that's good news and bad news. Like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm in the house, but I'm a servant. Well, let me tell you this. At least you're in the house, right? You're like, I ha- I'm in the house, but I have to clean the toilets. Well, praise God, you're in the house. Because there are some who are outside of the house. They don't even know what they're searching for. They, they don't know what's missing in their life. They're empty. They do not know the grace of God. You do know the grace of God. Praise God for that. So we are in the house, and that's something that we should be happy for. We should just be happy just for that. But guess what? We're not. A lot of times we're not. I've said it before. We don't have to serve the Lord. We get to. And that doesn't bring us fulfillment, that we get to serve the Lord. Most of the time, it's like, oh, I have to do this again. Notice that Paul says he became a minister according to the stewardship of God. Last week, I said, yeah, he wasn't born a minister, wasn't born an apostle. But I think the the other important detail here is that He became a minister according to someone else's will. According to the stewardship from God that was, here's another key word, given to him. What I don't read here is that Paul was allowed to pick what he wanted to do for the Lord. That's what I don't read here. Yes, Paul accepted the call to ministry. But listen, this is very important. He accepted the call to ministry. So do we. We accept the call to ministry. But God compelled him to serve in the capacity that he called him to. That's why we say the Lord calls us. When we come to salvation, it's because he has called us. That inward call of the Holy Spirit, we will not reject. If he does not call you, you do not come. Same thing is true for ministry. Calls you, right? Because when he calls you to a believer, he is calling you to ministry in an essence. So those things happen together. That's very important for us to consider. Now, when you read the Bible, let me ask you this question. How often do you see that someone freely chose the way they wanted to serve God. Think about that. How many people freely chose, this is what I'm going to be for the Lord. This is what I'm going to be for God. If he doesn't like it, tough. I'm still going to be this. Don't see that. The only example I can think of is Christ. He is the one who freely gave his life to die for our sins. He's the one who humbled himself, put on flesh. That was part of 
beautiful sacrifice that he gave. Outside of that, everybody else was called. Now, as I look at my own personal call into ministry, I can see how the Lord has compelled me to serve him through the gifts he has given me. See, a lot of times I think we approach things that we're asked to do, we approach it a certain way. Like we're, we're waiting for, we're people who like signs. We're, we're people who like, you know, we want to be like, I want to make sure this is what God wants me to do. So I'm going to peel back the curtain a little bit so that you can get a glimpse of how I was called to pastor this church. Um, in 2008, I was intending ministry, and I was, I, we had just had Jonah in 2007. Uh, we were very happy family. I was going to work, and a new baby, and the future looked bright. My, my, my whole goal was to go finish ministry, eventually get a church, and then, and then you know, continue on from there on. Um, and everything was going great. And then, uh, or I say, I say ministry, but seminary, uh, going, attending seminary. And so as I was attending seminary, everything was going great. 2008, I get a phone call. And the phone call was from our pastor then. And he says, I need to meet with you. Okay, I'll, that was pretty common. You know, I was the associate pastor. I'd help him at the time. I was preaching for him. I was learning and at the same time going to seminary. And so he calls me and says, I, I need to speak with you. I come over here and I meet with him. And it was one of those, those situations where you never forget. He says, I, I've been called somewhere else. For a pastor who had been here for 25 years, uh, a great leader, great preacher, you know, there, it, was, it was a lot. He was a father in the faith for me at the time, and it was, it was a lot to take in. I sat back, and I just kind of, you're, you're thinking about everything, and the wheel's turning, right? I said, well, who's going to take your place? And he looks at me and says, that's why I'm called you. And at this time, I, I had been preaching for some time. I had been preaching since basically around... Uh, the year 2000 or so, off and on. And I had started preaching on a regular basis maybe around 2004 or so, 2005, uh, uh, preaching here at this church on a regular basis. And so that's about what I knew about ministry as far as, like, that's what I did on a regular basis. I did some hospital visits here and there. But other than that, as far as, like, being a pastor and everything I, that it entailed, I, I, I still had a lot to learn. And he says, that's why I've called you in here today. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't understand at all what's going on here. I don't understand. He says, no, I've, I've called you here because we need an interim pastor. And basically he said, if, so I, I was like, me? Like, you want me to? He's like, yes, we, we need someone to transition us, you know, through this, 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 this ordeal here. And it, it's better if someone does it who's a member of the church already because people know you, this, this, and that. Uh, you know, at the time, I was 20, no, 31 at the time. And so I sit there, I'm trying to think through all this, and, and this is, none of that helped me. I was like, I don't care about them. I care about myself right now. Like, honestly, I'm like, uh, I'm not ready to do this. I, I had myself in mind. He's like, no, this is, this is what would help the church. You, you can do this. Nothing of that was helping me. What drove me to make the decision was, he said, I believe if you don't do this, I don't think the church is going to make it. So I was like, well, I mean, I can't, I can't say no now, right? 
I'm like, thank you very much. I can't say no. And so he said, go pray about it. And I, I did. Prayed, talked to Alicia. We came to the conclusion reluctantly. Like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, basically, my, my disposition was I'll give it a try. See what happens. Now, the reason why I peel that back is so that you can see how the call from God comes at you sometimes. There, I wish there was a moment where, like, I walked into the office and all of a sudden this bright light just shone down and, like, boom, you're going to do this and then God's going to supply everything you need. And I, I give you 100% certainty that you're going to stay in this ministry for a long time and the church is going to grow and it's going to be wonderful and all this other stuff. It was none of that. It was almost like one step at a time. It was frightening. I, I wasn't trained. A lot of us want to be like completely trained up before we go. None of that had happened. Are there better ways to do it? Sure, there are. But not every case is going to be that better way. I think of the disciples. Jesus walked up to them and said, come, follow me. Now, fast forward 15 years later, I stand before you today. Equipped, called by God to minister to his church as a messenger. Only by the grace of God. Have I made my mistakes? Sure. But so has everybody else. And it's, it's an awesome testament, not to anything about myself or anything about, yourself, about you. It's, it's an awesome testament to the Lord for fulfilling and, and being faithful to the calling he has given us. So here's my question. What about you? What about you? What is it that you are waiting for? If you are waiting, why? Has God equipped you? If he has called you, yes, he has equipped you. And what I mean by that is if he has called you into his grace. Because sometimes we'll say, oh, well, God hasn't called me into ministry. My dear brother or sister, when he called you into his grace, he called you into ministry. You're a minister of the gospel. I had a brother in Christ call me the other day. He asked me to pray for him. I wasn't in a particularly good mood at this time when he had called. He called me at a bad time. And uh, I, no, I wasn't ugly to him at all, but I just was one of those moods. You ever feel like you're in one of those moods where you're just like, you're just flooding? Like, like you're honest. You're, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm just going to be honest. So there may have been some mercy lacking in my response to him, but it, it ministered to him. It was, uh, he was invited to uh, preach at a church, and uh, at this church, he was invited to preach there for an extended amount of time. Well, this brother, he had been, we had been talking. He had been confiding in me about his, his, his gift of preaching, and he felt like he, had, he was called to preach, and I had been encouraging him. He had been preaching from time to time here at the church, where, here at his church where he was involved in, are a member of, and then on occasion he would preach at different uh, locations when they needed pulpit supply. So he calls me, and this is a big deal because this church is asking him to preach for like uh, an extended period of time. They're without a, a pastor, and they need a pulpit supply. So this was for like several months. So he calls me, and we 
talked about, had plenty of different discussions about his calling, he in the past has said, I am sure I am called to this. It was like, I remember having those moments when you're younger. You're like, if I cannot preach, I cannot breathe. Like, it's all dramatic, you know, like, there's no way that I'm ever going to live this life without being able to preach. If I do, just take my life from me. Like, that's the way you start off. And, and I, I, he, was, he started off that way. He was just very dramatic about it and bold, and I believe he meant it. But now he's calling and saying, hey, can you pray for me? And I'm like, well, sure. What do you need prayer for? He says, well, this church invited me to preach for a, an extended period of time. I just need to know. I need the Lord's direction. So I sat there and I'm like, oh, my goodness, please. Are you kidding me right now? I took the opportunity to remind him of God's calling. My question was really simple. I listened to him and I said, you know what? I have a question for you. Has God called you to preach? He's like, yeah, I already told you. I'm 100% sure. I'm, I'm gifted and I'm called. I said, well, if he's called you, then go and preach. Is the Lord, is he deterring you from going to preaching? Has he put something in the way where you cannot go and preach? Like with Paul, you know, has he deterred you from going somewhere? When they were trying to go to Macedonia and the Lord just would not let them go? Is, is the Lord putting something in a way where he's preventing you from doing it? If you have the invitation and you have the gifting, what's stopping you from it? So are you called to preach or not? Of course, he's like, yeah, I'm called to preach. Well, I was like, well, let me finish. If you're not called to preach, then move out of the way. Move out of the way. It's simple. Stop talking about it. For the last year and a half, that's all I've been hearing is, I'm called to preach, I'm called to preach, I'm called to preach. Great. Go do it. This is, this is where you think about how foolish we sound to the Lord. Oh, I have this burning desire to do this. Oh, I have this. or oh, I have that. I have this conviction. And it's like, okay, let's figure out how we can do that. And so I was like, either do it or get out of the way. Let someone else minister to God's church. Because by the way, if we are called, whatever ministry we're called to, it is a privilege. Has God, has God called you to preach or not? It was a test, really, to find out if he was truly called to preach. And I appreciate the way he reacted. He said, thanks a lot, Pastor. <laughs> he said, God, you didn't have to put it that way. And then he said, I appreciate that, though. It's truly what I needed to hear. It was a test to see how he would react. Because I knew, I knew it would be one or two things. Either he would agree with me and say, praise the Lord, or he'd be mad at me. One, or the way, one way or another. Praise God that he saw it as a test and he saw it as wisdom. Like, hey, if you're called, then go and do it. So let me ask you, what gifts have the Lord given to you? Are you using them for his church? You were gifted when you were called. It's time to get to work. 
Then the third thing as a minister, verses 24 to 26, or excuse me, 25 to 26. Not only are we called to, uh, to suffer, and also we're called to use the gifts that God has given us, but also as ministers, we are called to make the word known to all men. Paul's call was that specifically. He says, my call is to make the word of God fully known. Paul calls the word of God a mystery, which is Christ. Christ is the mystery. The Old Testament pointed to Christ, but people didn't fully understand it. We know how hard it is to fully understand something when you're right in the middle of it. And, and that was their case. Their sinful hearts kept them from fully understanding what God was doing in the Old Testament, how he was pointing to Christ. As Paul writes to the Gentile church, he shares this ministry, or this mystery and how it's being revealed. What is the mystery? That every man from every tribe who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the mystery that was being revealed. That's what the people needed to hear and know. In some churches today, there is no gospel. The message is informative. It's intellectual. It's comforting. It's encouraging. It's convicting. And that's what confuses people. It's like I come here and I feel good. I come here and I learn something. So if I experience good things and these things must be good. The most important thing about a message is that it must be centered on the good news that God saved sinners like us. It has to be. Everything else is secondary. God has given us his precious gift and that's what we preach. That's what we teach. The good news of the gospel is what gives us faith it's what gives us hope. It's what gives us love. It supplies everything we need for life and godliness. Everyone in here, think about this. If we did not have the good news of the gospel, we would not be in Christ today. If we did not have the goodness of the gospel, there would be nothing to minister to our souls. As ministers of the gospel, we must make the word known to all men. That is our calling. That is what heals the church. That is what helps the church. And that calling for us starts at home and it pours into every other aspect of our lives. So here's a conclusion. When we look at the work of the minister, it points to Christ. Because essentially the work of the minister is to be like Christ. That's what it is. Ephesians 5.1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You are to be Christ-like. This requires a heart change. This also requires a reliance on his spirit to enlighten, empower, 
and enable you to serve his church for his glory. Ministry, it's not done alone. And it's not done according to your own power. The Lord is the one who works in you to accomplish his will for your life and also for the church. He uses what he does with the body part, us, right? We're all body parts of, 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 of the whole body. We're all parts of the whole body. So he uses what he does with the body part to minister to the whole body. I'm right now I'm on sort of, sort of a, a fitness journey. I'm 46 years old, and I'm noticing that things are getting harder for myself. My joints are hurting a little bit more. Um, just a bunch of different things that are happening to me physically. It's, it's very humbling. And so here, my wife and I have decided to turn some things around and tried to try to get ready for the long haul, if God has us here for that long, to, to serve him and to try to do the best we can. I have young kids trying to keep up with them. And one thing I recognize is that, like, we have a lot of different body parts, but one body part can make a big difference for the rest of the body. Like, for instance, my mouth, right? That has a big influence on the rest of my body. You're like, well, how does that happen? What you put in your mouth, right? That helps a lot with the body. Not only that, but I have this backache on the right side of my back, right by the shoulder blade, and it's just constantly there. Sometimes it's, it's worse than others. Well, I've noticed I've, I've been doing some strength training. I, I start to get my core stronger. I get other body parts stronger. Well, it's relieving the back pain a little bit, right? And so a lot of different things, how do I work out? I work out with my hands, my arms, my legs. They're, they're all working for the whole body. Essentially, that's us as a church. You may think, oh, this sin won't affect anybody. It will. It's part of the body, right? Your own spiritual growth, your own spiritual disciplines. You're like, oh, I don't need to read the Bible. No, that's, that's hurting the body, right? So we're all connected, and I think that's why we are called to live for one another. What God does to one body part ministers to the whole body. Now, I will say this in closing. It's not for the faint of heart. Ministry is not for the faint of heart. Listen, it's for those who have a heart of faith. Plain and simple. Because as far as what we're called to in ministry, we won't be able to do it by ourselves. We, we don't have what it takes. We're, you know, we're not the few good men and women that God has chosen we're the deplorable few that God has chosen. He's so gracious to us. So it's not, for the faint, it's not for the faint of heart, but for those who have a heart of faith. Only those who are truly called can do it for the long haul. And only those who are truly called are compelled to finish the job that God has started in them. Many believe that the inward call of God to serve can be rejected. I guess as long as God allows it to be so, it can. All I know, and this is, this is all I know, people have asked me this so many different times. Why are you a pastor? All I know is that he compels me to serve. 
the only one who keeps me safe. He compels me to serve in the capacity he has gifted me for, for as long as he desires me to serve. I don't know if you knew this, but pastoring a church would not be my first choice in serving the Lord. You know what would be my first choice? I think I've said this before. I wish I could sing, like really, really good. Like really good, like real soulful. Like I, I, I wish I could like just really sing. Not what the Lord had in store for me. I had an old friend ask me one time. It was funny because this was when I had first become a pastor. We um, hadn't seen each other in a long time, and I saw him, and he found out I was a pastor. He says, "How did you do that? Said, did you order an online certificate?" I started laughing. It's a good question, right? I'm like, he said, "Are you one of those pastors? You just order an online certificate and you became a pastor?" Now, we recognize not only being a pastor, but being a Christian, being whoever you are in Christ. It is through the calling and the working of God. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, brother or sister, I say to you, get to work. Let's pray.